This morning's scripture reading is Exodus chapter 3, verses 7 through 12, which is on page 41 in the Red Pew Bibles, if you want to follow along. And then we're going to jump over to Acts chapter 16, verses 23 through 34, and that's on page 784 in your Pew Bibles. It'll also be up on the screen for us. So Exodus chapter 3, verse 7. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of, up out of that land and into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perseites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Jumping over to Acts, chapter 16, 23. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. The other prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly, there was a violent earthquake. That there was a, such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up, and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, Don't harm yourself! We are all still here! The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in, the in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds, and then immediately he and his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had, become he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. This is the word of the Lord. Now, if you're able, we invite you to uh, stand and sing as we worship God together. Good morning. How's everybody today? Good. Um, I brought a game with me today that I'm not very good at. Does anybody know how to play dominoes? No? no except Ben? Nobody knows how to play dominoes except Ben? You know, it's one of those games, do you know how to play? Maybe you can teach me, because all I know is that you have all these little piles, and they have 
I know they're called tips on them. And I think you just kind of match them. I don't know. You just kind of, if there's a three, you can put a three. Do you just make them in a long line? Uh, and just, or do you, can you make them sideways? Sideways, you can do sideways? Okay, well you're gonna have to give me a lesson because I don't really know how to play. I just play at it. Takes two people, right. Um, however, that's not what I wanna talk about with dominoes today because I'm sure that I'm much better at playing with dominoes this way than I am the other way. Yeah, see if I can do this. Um, did anybody ever do this with their dominoes? No, you don't do this? No? I used to uh, love the movie Robots. Has anybody ever watched the movie Robots? Yeah, the movie Robots. Um, the yeah? Well, in the movie Robots, there's this uh, robot man called Mr. Big Weld. This big round dude. Well, he likes to play with dominoes, and he, but he plays with them this way. And if you've ever watched the movie, it's pretty impressive when he does the thing. So, yeah. So what happens now that I've built this like this? What happens? What do we do next? I knock them over. Do you want to come do it for me? You're just going to push on just that one. Just that one, just gently. Woo, you did it. Good job. Good job. Okay. So, you want to do it again? All right, we'll do it again. Takes a little bit to set them up. But, uh, this is, when I was reading the scripture, I was thinking about Paul and Silas in jail. And the domino effect. Paul and Silas were pretty beat up. They were pretty hungry, they were pretty tired, and pretty frustrated, but what were they doing? Singing and praying and giving God praise. Now, if they sat there and said, oh, poor me, go ahead. Oh, you want more? Okay. Poor me, look at me, I'm hurt, I'm in jail, I shouldn't be in jail. What would the rest of the people in jail think? Poor me, look at me, I'm in jail, and the effect is the same. Paul and Silas, however, didn't do that. They said, you know, there must be a, wait, 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 let me get them set up first. There must be a good reason why I'm here. All right. There must be a good reason why I'm here. And God has put us here for a reason. So let's praise God. Um, I know uh, a lot of times when I'm listening to the radio in my car, there's a couple of songs that come on that are pretty similar to this theme. Um, there's one about, I raise a hallelujah in the middle of the, um, the fight, in the middle of the enemy. I don't know what else to do, so I'm going to say, okay, hallelujah, you got this. Um, and we know the end of the story. So we can praise God, no matter what our situation is. Now, the fact that Paul and Silas were in jail, and they were singing praises and praying, 
the others in jail were hearing this, and they're going, hey, these guys are in worse off shape than we are, and listen to them. Hmm, maybe we should listen too. And then, when the earthquake happened, if I was in jail and the earthquake went, and my chains fell off, I'd probably out that door, right? I don't want to be in there. But they didn't. Not one of them left. They all stayed. And I have to think that it was the influence of Paul and Silas, if they didn't try to get out, yeah, then maybe they should just stay too. And Paul and Silas were able to minister to the prisoners and also to the jailer who was ready to kill himself because he thought all these prisoners had escaped and if that was the case, he was going to be killed anyway. And Paul said, no, no, we're all still here. Every single one of us, not one of us left. And that had another effect onto the jailer who then said, hey, your God must be pretty awesome. And then to his family. So what Paul and Silas did had effect not only on themselves for bolstering their faith and their courage and their peace, but all of the prisoners around them and the jailer and the jailer's family. So when we, what we do, how we respond to situations, has an influence. We can choose to say, oh, poor me, look at this, I'm, I've got this awful thing. Um, and others around us are going to pick up on that and say, yeah, you're right, me too. Or you can say, you know what, I may not like the situation I'm in, but God's going to use this situation, and if I just give him the honor and the glory and the praise for it, he's going to take this situation and use it to his benefit. So how are we influencing people? Think about it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for Paul and for Silas and for the ministry they had. We thank you that even in a tough situation, they did not give up on you. They praised you in the worst possible place and brought others to come to know you as well. So help us be a good influence on the people that we meet. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I would like to start off this, or, uh, this sermon with a story. Um, there was once a football game in the Wisconsin Badger Stadium, and this game was not one of the good ones. They were making errors, they were losing by many points, everyone was perplexed how they were playing so badly, yet the weirdest thing was going on. Every time the team would lose a point, the fans would clap and cheer. They were giving standing ovation, doing the wave to watch what the players were doing and to watch how the audience resp was responding just did not make sense. It wasn't until people realized that all of the fans had radio earbuds in and they were listening to a game miles down the road, could anyone figure it out? Yeah, you see, the actions of the players made sense when you realized that, they, or the actions of the fans made sense when you realized they were responding to a different reality. And that is exactly what is going on in this passage. To watch Paul and Silas, their reaction just doesn't make sense. And in fact, this passage makes us uncomfortable because to see the situation is in makes us want to 
distance ourselves. But when we begin to peel back the curtain, it gives us the opportunity to really ask the question, what is the reality of God? What does it mean to live in a world where the reality is that there is a God who loves us no matter what? And so we start to understand that by reality by understanding where the disciples started in prison. You see, it's, it's kind of abnormal to have the setting be a prison. We wouldn't expect that. Um, but this story is the snapshot of a bigger story going on. Leading up to this passage that Kathleen has read for us, we see that a lot had happened to Paul and Silas. They were accused of doing things that they didn't do. They were attacked by crowds. They were ignored and harmed by the city officials who were meant to protect them. They were beaten up, and they were placed in jail. And it's as a result of all those actions that we get this picture that this story starts off with. Paul and Silas locked in stocks in a dark, probably what would have been basically a cave, um, stuck with their wounds, not able to eat, unsure what the future would bring. And so, I don't know about you, but my gut tries to pull me away from that picture, not really wanting to involve because it's an uncomfortable situation. But as we really try to imagine what it must have been like for them to be in this prison, we can really imagine sitting there for 12 hours, the sores that you would get from sitting in one place, how they had their wounds, and they would have had open wounds, dried on in blood, and we began to get a picture of what it looked like for them in this moment. Yet there's another truth underneath this whole passage that makes this picture even more uncomfortable. Each action that happened to them, they were the passive recipients for it. But not at once leading up to this story did they have a chance to respond, to explain themselves, to try to get away from the crowds. They just had to take injustice out of injustice out of injustice. And so when we think of prisons, we can picture a prison. We can picture the physical confinement. But in reality, in this passage, it's so much more. It's losing the ability to act and to react, and to have situations outside of our control that takes away the plans and actions that we have created for ourselves. It wasn't only their bodies that were trapped, but it was their minds and their spirits. And so while many of us can't relate to being physically locked in stocks, at least I hope not, most of us, if not all of us, can relate to being mentally and emotionally trapped to not knowing what comes next. As I was preparing this sermon, God kept bringing to my, own, um, to my mind a moment from my own life, um, a moment when I was in college and my life fell apart. One of my close friends spread rumors about me that wasn't true, and so I felt betrayed. I got kicked out of the fraternity I was in. Friends who used to talk to me all the time began to distance themselves. It felt like the life I created for myself fell apart. And it was hard losing the things I used to do. It was hard, the actions that happened. But the harder part in the midst of all that was feeling lost, was not knowing what step I could take, not knowing if things would ever be the same again. And so I became trapped, not physically, but a trapping that goes much deeper. 
And I tried to come up with my own solutions. You know, I would, I would try to deny the situation that was happening and just power through. I would, you know, kind of take a numbness to life, try to distance myself from the pain that was going on. Feel angry at the person who caused this, because that gave a little bit of control. Felt shame at myself that I couldn't stop it. Asked myself questions of what if things could have gone differently. And these are all normal feelings, normal responses. Maybe some of you know a little bit about what I'm talking about. But I would feel more and more trapped because no matter what I tried, nothing would work. I felt like I was in the stocks, locked in pitch black darkness with my open wounds in my soul, making me feel very uncomfortable. And the truth is, the truth we don't want to talk about is that every single person alive really experiences that in some way. For some, it may be big moments like I just shared. Moments of losing something important. Maybe the, left, the death of a loved one, the loss of a job, loss of understanding what your future looks like. Maybe a moment where you had conflict with someone. You know, disagreements with family and friends that make you don't know what life's going to look like after that. Or with a coworker or a neighbor you see every day and you always have to deal with. Maybe a moment where you had a major life change. You know, there's bad changes like divorces, moving away from family, but there's even good changes like moving to a new city or a marriage where things just don't work how they used to anymore. Maybe moments where you feel alone and isolated, such as being abandoned or feeling like no one understands you. But there's also those smaller moments of helplessness that are a lot harder to identify. Getting cut off in traffic, feeling ignored by a boss or coworker, no longer feeling passionate about a job you've been doing for a while. Sometimes these little things combine and add so we don't even know why we feel helpless, but we don't know the way out either way. And these feelings are normal, but they're hard to think about. Our body tries to distance us. It tries to say, if we just push through, if I just work hard enough, if I just find this, if I find that, I can find the answer. But no matter how much we do that, we feel lost. We feel hopeless. We feel lost and stuck in the stockade. And that's the reality of the losing baseball team, a reality that we see every day. And so the first step of understanding this passage, as hard as it is, is understanding that we all have moments of being trapped, not just physically, but spiritually and mentally, emotionally. But as we understand that there is a problem, we can begin to see the hope of a solution. Because the disciples, just as we are, were forced to respond to hardship. And even in that statement, we see a glimmer of hope. Because the disciples were able to respond. Something that sometimes it doesn't feel like we're able to do. And so we see this amazing picture as the story goes on that their response was earth-shaking faith. Quite literally in this passage, but metaphorically as well. So as we return to this passage, we return with eyes to see the hope in the present of captivity. And the remainder of this story shows quite a few responses of the apostles 
But really looking at the first action, was what we heard with the message in the basket, is that they respond singing hymns, yeah, singing hymns in a prayerful manner. And we know, based on how the text reads, that this probably would have been a long time of continuous singing. And so as we try to understand what it meant for the apostles to live in this life, we want to try to understand what these prayers and worship are. I mean, that was a great worship year, and we saw, you know, I sing my worship. How can I keep from singing? But what does it actually mean to sing worship? Well, we can think of prayer, and prayer at its heart is starting a conversation with God. And so we see the disciples in the jail cell. Their first reaction is, I have to talk to God about this. And how do they choose to do it? Through hymns. And we're pretty sure hymns of those times would have been hymns of thanksgiving and praise. Specifically, they would have been thanksgiving and praise about the time that God has shown up in times of trouble. And so we can get this picture. It's not just the disciples singing song. It's disciples remembering stories. Maybe stories of biblical passages where God has literally brought herds out of Egypt of slave and suffering. Maybe it was testimonies of others, of others of times saying, I was at my wit's end, but then God happened. Maybe it was time in their own lives, their own lives where they were in prisons before. You know, an act that happens quite literally, but then God shows up. And so whatever images were coming to their mind, we know it was images of God's reality. Not just the hard reality they were faced with, but the reality of an all-powerful, all-loving God who loves you. That's both the communal you and the individual you, each and every one of us, so much that there was no matter what no matter what we could do that would not stop him. And so he is here right now pursuing everyone intensely. He wants relationship with you so much that not even death on a cross could stop that. That's the reality of God. That's the real miracle of this passage. As we read in the story, we see the earthquake. We even see this great conversion, and those are both great things. But the real miracle is that they're a God that exists and a God that cares. And that is the little seed, the little kernel of truth, of hope, present in our situation. And so as I've shared one of the moments of, from my life, of being in prison, it's important to know that that is not the defining moment of my past. A few years previous, um, I went to my first campus ministry meeting. Um, it was a campus ministry that Kathleen was a part of, similar to that work. And I grew up in a Christian home. I knew who Christ was, but I had this image in my mind that to be a Christian, you had to check off the right auto items off of the checkbox. And if you were doing the right things, you were good. And I felt like I was so good, I was a super Christian. So when I got to college and when I was asked if I wanted to come to a meeting of, of Christians, a campus ministry meeting, I said, sure, because that's what a super Christian does, so I can check another thing off on the box. And so I kept going week after week, um, partly because it was just what you were supposed to do, but also partly because everyone there, I noticed they had something something that I wanted, 
something I would later know is a relationship with Jesus, but not quite at that point yet. And so after going for a few weeks, I was driving back up to campus. The, the meetings were off campus about five minutes, and I was, I was driving, I was just flipping through the radio station channels, you know, not really sure what I was looking for. And it lands on this Christian radio station, and a song plays. And I can't remember the station, and I can't remember the song, but I remember the message is one of Jesus hanging on a cross, covered in blood, dying for me because of his love for me. And I had heard that message so many times before in my life from going to church. Something about that moment in that situation clicked. And I realized it wasn't what I did. It wasn't who I was. It was who Jesus was. An all-loving, all-powerful God. And that was just the start of a lifelong process of God reminding me that. But as I was driving up to campus, my arm started shaking. Fortunately, I was just about to pull into a spot when this happened because I, I cried. I lost it. And at that point, I, I barely cried. But there was something deep inside that God was poking. And my almost immediate reaction was to just pray and say, God, I want more of this. Show me. Don't let me forget this. Help me to always remember and to live this out. And he did. And that's more time than I can fit into this one sermon, although I love talking about it. But it highlights that most important truth of this passage. In God's reality, we are always loved and cherished by the only being that matters. And so just as the disciples' gut reaction was to tap into that Truth, that can be what we do as well. But it's hard because when you're trapped, it's hard to really think clearly. You know, faith, trusting in this truth, isn't as easy as flipping on a light switch. Instead, it's a lot more, you know, when we think of faith, we think of skydiving, you know, a big cliff, and sometimes we just got to jump off it and take the plunge and know everything's going to be okay. But in reality, faith is a lot like sitting in a chair. Did you know that sitting in a chair takes faith? Because there's always a possibility every chair we sit in could fall apart. and We could be laying on our backs. But we know we've sat in chairs before. So we know odds are a chair is going to hold. And we can kind of tell when a chair is sketchy and we know to sit in the chair next to it. But that's out of our past experience of having faith in sitting in chairs. And the same thing is us sitting with God. Everything we do in life is an act of from the simplest things to the biggest things. And everything we do has the ability to trap us in a prison. But we know we can live life because we know there has been moments in our life where God's hand was there protecting us. And so the way forward, the way to live out our salvation, the way to respond to moments of entrapment like the apostles did is not flipping that switch. It's not just praying hard enough and hoping it all goes away, but it's remembering those moments in the past when the chair didn't fit, when you knew you were loved. And so I'd like us to take a moment to do just that, to think back on your life. Close your eyes if that helps. Think of the first moment that you learned of a God who loved you. Think of the moment where you have been freed from imprisonment. 
think of the stories that you've heard others experience from imprisonment. If those moments don't come to mind, ask God to show you them when he was there and you didn't even know. If this is your first time knowing such a thing is possible, ask God to show you more. Thank you, God, for this opportunity. Amen. Because the good news of the gospel, the good news of salvation, the reason why we come to church every day is that we, or every week, we read our Bibles every day, is that we have the opportunity to do that moment regularly, to sit with God. The God that created the universe gives us the opportunity whenever we need it to sit down with him and talk with him. That's crazy. But we have that moment to remember the times and to ask God for more. And it can look different. It can look like when we sing hymns on a Sunday right now. It can be in the morning when we wake up, taking five minutes to pray. It can be at night before we go on bed, reflecting through the days. It can be before a meal when we say grace. It can be after getting cut off in traffic. We can say, God, I need a little bit of forgiveness. I got a little annoyed. And that's a moment of remembering the grace and the reality of God, putting in the earpiece and being in tune with what God is making possible. Because we can always respond in faith to the God who loves us. And as we see, and as we saw with the dominoes, that has the ability to change lives. There's a lot more of the story left, and there's a lot more cool things to talk about, but really the idea is that both in ourselves and in others, people notice when we respond in a new reality. And so we see this picture of the guard who runs up and says, his reaction to seeing this can be, how can I be saved? Because in honest, he knew who Paul and Silas were. He saw an earthquake, which in those times would have been the sign of a god interacting with the human world, and so he knew in some way that God loved him and was protecting him, and he knew he wanted more. And so I'm, I want to leave with a few more stories because I think they really help us explore this mindset. So I think of one of my refugee friends who's Muslim, and he shared with me this time that he watched the Jesus film. And the Jesus film is basically Jesus' life in a movie. And so and he'd never heard the story before, and so he's talking to me about it, and he says how he gets to the point where Jesus is nailed on the cross, and he's hanging there. And he says, I cried. And in that culture, crying is not something you do lightly. And so he said, I cried because I just could not understand why someone would do that for me. That, for him, is the spark of his journey of seeing what it looks like to have that new reality, of seeing people worship in the hard times. And it doesn't mean the hard times go away, but it means we have the possibility to take the next step on our journey. And so I know you guys over the last couple of weeks have been talking about salvation, and I think this is a perfect summary, and that's why I kind of asked Kathleen and Jen if I could do this passage, because I think it's a perfect summary of salvation. That Salvation is a process, and salvation is a journey with Jesus. 
And there are going, there are going to be times when we hit hardship. But we have the loving God that sits there and walks us through. So as we figure out how to respond, we know that there is no one response. It's just figuring out what our next step is. And so as a tool to figure that out, I leave us all with a question. Who are you in this story? Are you the fellow prisoners witnessing the power and love of God for the first time? In that case, the power of this passage could be simply the reality and the unheard of reality that there's hope no matter what? Are you the guard so trapped that you feel ready to take your own life? In that case, maybe the answer is that God already has saved you, or shortly will, and will demonstrate his power to you. Are you Paul and Silas feeling in prison and trying your best to respond with songs and praise? In that case, the takeaway could be knowing that God may be using this moment to reveal his power to someone else. You see, the reality is that no matter who you are in this story, and we could be everyone at once, the reality is that God is using those moments to change your life and those around you, just as he has time and time again, and just as he did when he hung on the cross. And so we take this, we go out knowing, living, expressing the reality of a God who loves, putting in the ear doing. And so we're going to be singing the hymn Stand By Me coming up, and I really invite everyone to take that as an opportunity to reflect and to pray. As we hear of the hardships and trials, they're not just words, they're experiences. And as we stand of God standing, as we sing of God standing by us, it's not just the hope, it's the reality. So let's take this opportunity to really think through what God is doing. So let me pray for us, and then we will sing our hymn. God, we thank you for this amazing opportunity to gather as a group. We know we each bring our trials. We know we each bring our struggles. And we also know we meet your love every single day. And so help to wash us in that love, God. Help to show us the next step when we just don't feel like there are any steps. Help to guide us through as only you can. And help that power be witnessed by other people and change lives in the ways that only you can. So we thank you and we say in your name, God. Amen. Let us keep singing.